Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well in the warm shed. Yeah, this is the problem with summer. It all gets a bit too warm, doesn't it? But I'm going to the frozen north tomorrow. I think you've just come back from the frozen north, so hopefully it'll be a bit chillier up there. It wasn't frozen. It was amazing. Beautiful sunshine in Scotland, and I'd recommend it to anybody. That's probably the three or four days of sunshine Scotland will get all year, so I'm glad you were there for it. And you're a true Scot, mate. You're a true Scot. Hey, I lived it. I lived that dream. Year after year, I know what it's like in Scotland. I'll go up, it'll be raining and full of midges, because that's the way it is. We even made sandcastles on the beach. What beach was that? Portobello Beach and North Berwick. Oh, wow, North Berwick. No, I have good friends from North Berwick. It's not a bad part of the world, really. And you're pretty safe from the midges over that side, actually. So one of the joys of the East Coast. And it's beautiful. Really nice. We had a lovely time. It is a lovely place. There's, I mean, there's a lot to be said from Edinburgh. As a as a somebody who's Glasgow is closer to my heart, but even I have got to say Edinburgh is quite pretty and its environs are not bad. We did go to Glasgow. Oh, did you? Been on the subway. Oh, wow. There was a subway there. Yeah, there is a subway there. The the Clockwork Orange. Is that the first time they've been on the subway? In Glasgow, they've obviously been in London. And then we went to a Riverside Museum, quite a funky museum full of cars and trains and buses, which was right up their street. Fantastic. Oh, no, that's that's really nice. Presumably around about the SEC or somewhere like that you were. Were you near a big sort of aircraft wing looking tower thing? No, we were out on the river. It's called the Riverside Museum and right. it's not far from BBC Scotland. Yeah, so that, yeah, you, that's exactly oh, where that, I was talking. Yeah, is yeah. that it? Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're paying attention. My next thing was going to be, could you see BBC Scotland on the other side of the river? Yeah. Have you ever walked from a train station with whiny children for half an hour in the blazing heat? I have not. I have walked from the centre of Glasgow to that part of the world completely bladdered out of my face, though, and unable to walk in a straight line. So that's the same, right? It's probably a bit easier and there's less whining. I don't know. I was whining quite a bit because I had tried to get an Uber, speaking of Uber stories, to bring it back to tech for a second. And unfortunately, I had so much to drink, I couldn't find where the Uber driver was. So I just gave up and walked. (laughs) Wow. Real-time follow-up. I've never taken an Uber. That's not necessarily a bad thing after some of our conversations in the past. True, true. Anyway, should we dive into it? It's been quite a big week for news and rumours, but we'll get to them in a minute. Let's do some follow-up. Have you or I joined up together on Apex Legends and Game Center yet? No, I think me being on holiday probably was not helpful in this. No, uh, and I've equally made very little effort to do so because I knew you were on holiday and I'm going on holiday, or at least I'm taking a break as of uh, tomorrow. So that's one we can park for another week, I think. How about you were going to go and investigate Netflix and their game subscriptions? So I briefly just downloaded... Into the Breach by Netflix. It comes up with a little N on the icon, if I remember, on the App Store. Loaded it up. It took me straight in. It must have just found my Netflix account on my iPad, very much like Microsoft do when you install a few of the apps from the the same company. And it just worked straight off the bat. I didn't do anything. I didn't realize I got games, but I guess I've got a reasonable tier because I think I've got the 4K tier for streaming. So maybe I just get it for free. So I did have a go. I quite enjoyed it, actually. It was all right. I'm not a big turn-based person. It's I don't know why. But it doesn't appeal all the time. But I might quite like it. It was right. Yeah, it's like Command and Conquer, which is your absolute favourite in slightly slower motion, really, which is one of the reasons I thought you'd like it, actually. Yeah, I do. And I did used to play XCOM a little bit, but I, I don't know. I've just, I don't think I'm clever enough to think about how far ahead to plan and use my turns and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit like that. I quite like the simplicity of it, though. It's just a nine by nine grid. Each thing only does one thing well. One shunts, one shoots, one punches. I, it works quite well as a sort of concept for me. So maybe stick with it. Come back to it and have, have another go. I don't disagree. Concept, really, really good. 
Yeah, I, I actually tried it as well. I went and downloaded it on my phone. I've also got it on the Steam Deck. I've also got it on the Switch, actually. So I've, I've, I've had it in a few places into the breach. I got to say, the iPhone implementation, maybe the iPad one's better, isn't perfect. There's sort of too many clicks on the screen for me, rather than just being able to click a button to get it to do what it wanted to do. But yeah, not bad. Very faithful implementation otherwise. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite good. I haven't got anything to base it against, so I've not, not played any, any other variants, but I quite enjoyed it for, for a minute, and I did quite like the concept of it, the 9 by 9 pieces, you say. It's nice they've done something different. Yeah, and interesting that it's Netflix who's given you free games. Yeah, which, if you hadn't said about it last week, I wouldn't have thought to go and look, because I just assumed it was a thing they were doing, and I wouldn't have. And as we were talking pre-show about too many streaming services, you're going to end up with too many game services at some point. Yeah, you're not wrong. And I think we've criticized Apple in the past for not advertising, you know, what's actually on the service and what you've got access to and what Apple Arcade might be or what the other things are. This is certainly something I didn't really realize Netflix did. No, agreed. And I wonder whether games will drop off of Netflix like films do on Netflix and now games on Apple Arcade. It's got to be possible, hasn't it? If you're a developer, I mean, I know it's an older game now. It's not bang up to date, but, you know, there's quite a lot of revenue in older games and on devices that aren't quite so demanding. So I think maybe it's not exclusive, but maybe they'd want to sell it to Apple Arcade for a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, true. I must go and see what other games Netflix does actually that's probably some homework isn't it well i think there's a little link further down in in the game section where somebody on the verge has actually reviewed the netflix gaming service actually so that might save you a little bit of time if you want to see what else is on there okay yeah i can have a look at that brilliant and you went traveling with a long conversation about what sort of stuff to pack did you bring all the right things yeah i think so i was a little nervous just because i'm running beaters on various devices so we did all right so we took two iphones two apple watches so that's my wife and i and i took my big ipad which is the 12.9 inch M1. And actually, I think it worked out really well. And charging wise, it went very simple on the charges, just three USB-C plugs from Apple, the 20 watt ones that charge quite quickly, one MagSafe, one watch charger, and one lightning charger, and obviously a USB-C cable. And actually I could just interchange when we needed to charge, worked really well. And one thing I have got on my iPad is a three and a half mil headphone splitter so that the children could both have a set of headphones and watch something on the five hour train journey. And that actually worked really well. They watched Turning Red, actually, which they seem to really like. So yeah, it took, took the right cables, no complaints. I mean, we didn't use the iPad a huge amount once we were there. It was just for me to do a bit of work and obviously we charged up our phones every day. I do find the beta burning through battery. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. And we've said before, don't install betas on your main devices, particularly if you're going traveling. But of course, I did the same thing when I went off to Spain earlier and you've done the same thing in Edinburgh. But, you know, fair's fair. And if, if you can know and you're expecting it, you can manage it at least. It's not so bad that, you know, it's causing a massive problem. But, you know, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that you had all the right things. And, you know, beginning to standardize, as we sort of bemoaned a few times around USB-C on things, does make life an awful lot easier. Yeah, I would have liked, liked a USB-C iPhone. At, at that point, it would just be one less cable to take, I guess. But I did take my MagSafe charger because I can use that on the iPhone and on my AirPods, and I use that all the time at home anyway. It's a shame that the same MagSafe charger doesn't charge the watch, really. Yeah, that I wonder if that's something coming. Like, surely, like if I can charge my small AirPods on it, why wouldn't I be able to take the same thing out the new AirPods case? And put that in a watch why why can't it do that if they can make that happen it'd be ideal but i wonder whether it's anything to do with all the sensors and magnets not playing nicely together i don't know i'm not not that clever i don't know i mean you, you've heard i've heard little reports of people intermittently getting their apple watches to charge on chi chargers depending if you get the sort of fixing on it absolutely yeah, you've right you've got to line it pretty 
three straight, I think. So it's got to be possible. And you think, you know, the back of an Apple Watch isn't that big. You could sort of embed a smaller charger within the larger charger that is the MagSafe puck. And my only experience with the MagSafe puck is in my daughter's car, where I fitted one for her. So she'd just be able to get in the car, stick her phone to it and, and drive off. That works really well most of the time. Occasionally the magnet isn't very good and it just falls straight off the magnet or the floor of the car and she's guddling around in the passenger seat. Yeah, like if you go over a big speed bump or something. You have a similar experience, I take it. Yeah, my wife's car, because you have to plug your phone into use CarPlay. So I always plug my phone in and just stick it on the mount so it's out of the way. Right, right. Yeah, it's not ideal. Could you stronger magnets? And I don't know what the fix for that is. I mean, can you get a, f- a phone case with a stronger magnet to attach to the MagSafe puck? Might be the answer. Uh, I've no idea. I've given up using the case, so I don't know. Oh, that's, that's very brave of you. Speculation on my part. Good. Okay, so I'll just add to it very quickly. So I'm traveling this week. I'm driving. I'm not taking the train. I think everything we talked about last time is still true, except we've got more devices to take, I think. Uh, I can't travel without my Mac, so I will be taking my laptop with me as well. So I won't bother taking its MagSafe charger. In fact, I haven't even plugged it into the wall yet, the old new MagSafe, because I've got USB-C everywhere. I just tend to plug that in. I'm taking USB-C cables, and, and that'll do it. Yeah, I do wonder if either I had the MagSafe device, whether I'd ever use the MagSafe bit, because I've got so used to USB-C. I love it. I wonder, do you ever think MagSafe would come to an iPad? It's possible, I guess, but I mean, one of the things about an iPad is you want it to charge quickly and then you go. I mean, I run mine right down to the wire before I think about charging it up again. You use yours sort of docked a bit more than I do, so you might have a different thing about it. So I want it to charge quickly and I'm always going to get a faster charge out of a cable that connects to it. Even a MagSafe cable, I don't think they charge quite as quickly as the higher capacity USB-C ones. So for me, I'm not that bothered about it, but it'd be an interesting thing to see. I, I just wonder now the iPad's getting more Mac-like with the OS and are we going to get an extra port on it or is this their way of getting a second port on it? You get one MagSafe and one USB-C. Well, you get that already with a fancy keyboard case, don't you? You get two USB-C ports for that. Yeah, but the one on the keyboard case is a very slow charging port and nothing else. It would be great if that port did more because ideally what you want in that port is you plug in and it would allow your screen to work so you, you'd in essence be docking but you have to plug your screen your screen into the the middle port as it were on the on the side or the bottom it's a hellish expensive case i concur on that statement <laughs> you not, not one part of you feels good about buying it i felt good when i first had it three years ago at the start of the pandemic because it's like oh i can have a mouse on my ipad but three years later that should have come down in price i think but then i guess materials maybe we should be grateful it's not gone up because things are costing more yeah possibly i gotta say in my brief time of using the new ipad with the case with my mac it's driven me crazy because of the, the syncing thing that I couldn't get working during the beta process, which we talked about last time, that I lose my, my cursor all the time. I lose, you know, is it on my Mac? Is it on the dock screen? Is it on the iPad? I keep having to shut the iPad because I, I lose the pointer. It's driving me crazy. I might need to sw- switch the feature off. I mean, I understand how helpful it is. What's it called? I forget, continuity or something? Uh, I can't remember, sorry. You know what I mean, where you've got them on the same wireless network, or at least next to each other, and one pointing device, a mouse or a trackpad or something, will move the cursor between your iPad and a Mac, and another Mac if you've got one. Great. But I keep losing the thing. Universal control. Universal control. Just had a moment. Well done, well done. Universal control is driving me mental. Yeah, and and I did want it because I was using two iPads, but with iPadOS 16, I don't need two iPads anymore. It's glorious. Well, that's a good thing. Okay, I think that'll do us for follow-up. We kind of went into things in a lot more detail than I expected. We can go straight into news and rumors then. Yeah, so what we got first up? New App Store ads. Yep, new App Store ads. Have you seen this story? I've loosely heard about it, I think, 
basically Apple is going to allow more ads in different screens on the App Store. They quietly announced it. Was it last late last week, I think? Last Friday, yeah. And yeah, what do you think about this? I'm I'm not surprised, by the way. Spoiler alert. Well, I don't think it's great. I mean, I understand why they want to get a few more dollars out of developers to put their apps front and center, but I already feel like there's quite a lot of advertising in the app store anyway when you search for a thing or, you know, you, you quite often get something suggested rather than the app you're particularly looking for. For example, today I went to a changed uh, breakdown provider. I went from the AA to the RAC. So I thought I'd go and look for the RAC's app. I searched for RAC. I didn't find anything about the RAC. I got advertised for something else about some racing club, and then I got some poker things advertised, but not what I was looking for. And whatever I was searching for was sort of triggering these sort of poker adverts. So I didn't like that very much. So the thought of them, you know, some company with deep pockets being able to push something at the front of the app store regularly when we know what sort of a, 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 an invitation it is for, for younger kids to sort of be able to buy things. And I think there's something in this article about if your profile is such on your iPhone, you don't see some of the targeted advertising. I, I don't like it very much, but I do understand why. Yeah, I mean, they're going to keep chasing the services revenue. I wonder, though, how much revenue they actually get from doing this. And have they ever thought about it cheapening the experience? Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? Microsoft have been talking about advertising directly in Windows Explorer for a few years now, and that keeps surfacing and vanishing again because I think obviously the time isn't right. Users aren't used, aren't wanting to see adverts in their sort of the, the, the file browser, their operating system, and it is pretty egregious. And I think if Apple ever did it, that might be a step too far for me. Frankly, I never want to see adverts in my operating system like that. It's bad enough to see them all over browsers. So, I, I, no, no go on. I was going to say, I think Apple is starting to push the bounds a little bit, though, aren't they? When you get an iPhone and you get like a dot on, you know, a red box on the setting screen to go, do you want to buy Apple Care Plus? And then you get, geez, you know, you get three months of Apple TV Plus and you can buy this. And then I think somebody screenshotted Apple Music on the Mac on the beta popping up a, you know, a notification to buy something. And I, th- I do worry that Apple is starting to push the bounds between trying to make money and decency. And I there is a fine line there i think yeah i agree with you they are beginning to cross it particularly on the phone and all the things that continually prompt you to set up and at being advertised apple tv plus really annoys me actually you're being advertised to for something you've already paid for for you know why should you get this get this you know and that annoys me building it into the file the building it into the operating system of the phone so you're getting advertised and then the notifications about have you upgraded to iCloud have you thought about this have you thought about that it is getting a little bit wearing for a company that's not exactly short of a few quid but it must work because there's well as we're going to talk about their services revenue is probably up and people are doing it but then it's amazing how many people don't want to spend the 79p yeah, people don't want to spend seventy nine p. People don't want to pay the the iCloud uh, tax, which they've got, you know, for having so many photographs on on relatively small devices. Because most people, I think, buy the smallest possible devices. It's rare that you get somebody that push the boundaries up a little bit for the for the higher sort of storage that you get on phones and iPads and things like. that. And it is amazingly expensive by the time you sort of add five twelve or up to a terabyte, or I think in the iPad I've got's case two terabyte worth of storage. It's a huge amount of money. Yeah, well, I only went for a terabyte of mine because that's where you got the more RAM. I was going for the RAM on my phone. I think I bought well, either 128 or 256, but it's too much. I could have got the lower tier and I should have done yeah. hindsight. But that's because you, you use iCloud as well. So you'll pay the subscription and, and it just syncs to the cloud and you don't need all that on your device. Whereas if, you are, if you're unlikely to pay for the subscription 
or be advertised to, or at least respond to the advertising, uh, you know, and bought a smaller phone, you really are in a bit of a world of hurt with that, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that. So yeah, don't like it. Worth keeping an eye on, really, for where, where other adverts start to appear. I mean, they've kind of got you and me over a barrel, in the sense we're quite heavily embedded in the Apple walled garden ecosystem, whatever it is. And, and it would take quite a lot, I guess, to push me over. But, you know, for me, Linux at least gets better and better. I know you're quite happy in Windows. Well, you tolerate Windows here and there. It's it's tricky. It's It would take a decent push and something that really upset me to push me over. And I think, you know, we'll talk about a story in a minute. You can see some of the antitrust sort of defense mechanisms are trying to build in now so they can say that they're not, you know, they haven't got a, a monopoly. Yeah, agreed. I don't use Windows very much. I need to play Command and Conquer. It's, it's just it's just my vehicle to get me into Command and Conquer. But I don't. I haven't kept up with Linux at all. If I'm honest, barely touched it. Barely use my Mac. So my desktop OS is now iPad OS. Fair enough. It seems to be doing you so well so far. Anyway, I think that'll do us for ads. Watch this space, I guess, to see what happens next. So the next story is Apple's Q3 earnings. Yeah. So I haven't. Well, I've been on holiday. I haven't kept up with all of this, but. We were just talking about services, and services are up 12% year on year. Yeah, so the, the full picture is, for quarter three 2022, Apple reported revenue of $83 billion and a profit of $19.4 billion. Earnings pre-share hit $1.20 for the quarter. So that just beat what the, the sort of guidance they gave. In America, they need to give guidance to sort of stockholders of, of how they think they're going to perform against it, so they're going to overperform or underperform. And they just beat the guidance that they gave. So that's good. Not many companies have this time around. I saw that Netflix had fallen. I saw that Facebook had actually fallen as well and lost subscribers for its second straight quarter. So obviously it's quite a tense market. The PC market slash Mac Mac market are are quite hard going. And yeah, they seem to have done quite well in this quarter. Yeah, definitely. And it must be really hard to predict what with the supply chain, just the general economy at the moment, covid you know, the cost of living. So it's amazing that they probably got, they got the guesstimate about right mm. by the sounds of it. But it is very interesting. And obviously some areas are up and some areas are down. And obviously on the whole, it, it averaged out quite well for them. Yeah, I think so. And and for me, I mean, we'll go into it in a little bit more detail. Not that you, you or I are experts on this stuff. But iPhone is up. iPhone always seems to be up. It's the cash cow that keeps on giving, really. You know, they have got new models out. People are quite keen on them. So that was up 3% year on year to 40.67 billion. Mac was down 10% year on year. I'm quite interested in that because I think, does that encompass the new chips or is this you know, sort of a reaction to supply chain, not being able to get enough M1s as, we, as we've talked about on several shows now. That if the supply chain is stuff and they can't actually make the Macs to sell, then you're going to be down year on year. Or are people waiting for the M2, you know, to fully come out now? Now, now there's been a sniff of that. And then I'm guessing not many people are buying Mac Pros because you know there's a new Mac Pro around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So it, it feels like they've taken a long time to get that one out. It's a bit like the Osborne effect, isn't it? People know it's coming, but... You know, why are they still selling it? At, you know, who's going to spend five to 10 grand on an Intel Mac Pro? Well, you could buy an M2 MacBook Pro probably tomorrow if you really wanted, but nobody seems to want that. I wonder slightly about this if people got laptops at the start of lockdown. So, as the countries around the world locked down, they all got new laptops and stuff like that. So, there was a boost in that quarter, as I recall, and, and the quarter after it, where people were still getting new laptops. And now, They've got new kit. They don't need new kit, particularly, even if it is the older Intel stuff that's kicking around. And so that combined with supply chain might sort of lead to a down quarter on the Mac. That is true. And you know what? At work, whilst we use Windows laptops, some of them we've had four years and they're not even showing their age, either performance or or wear and tear. So I do do wonder about that. 
And do you know what though? In a era when cost of living is going up, people aren't going to want to spend twelve, you know, twelve hundred pounds on a, on a laptop. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, the iPad was down only slightly though. So iPad down one point nine percent, seven point two two billion. I think that's just people waiting for a new iPad, isn't it? Possibly, but the iPad lineup's in re- the best shape it's been in forever because you know you've you've just had the new Mini, you've just had the new Air. They did the new regular iPad back in September. The oldest one, I think, is the Pro. Mm. So I think it's a good lineup. But again, if people have bought them recently, you're yeah, not going to be buying them now. Why would you? Do you want... know what got? Go on. Sorry. Do you know what got me on this? Wearables is more than iPads. Wearables is more than Macs. Like that's a lot of wearables, isn't it? It's an awful lot of wearables. That's, I presume, headphones and watches. I think we've talked about this before. It is headphones yeah. and watches. Yeah, but the, obviously the average price point has got to be so much lower than the average price point for an iPad or a Mac. It's just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, it does. But they sell an awful lot of headphones. And I presume the old wire ones are still sort of included within that too. So I quite often see people nipping into Apple stores and buying them here, there and everywhere because they've forgotten them or the cable's frayed or the batteries are dead on their AirPods. And the AirPods 3, the sort of standard AirPods 3, are still fairly new and people will be upgrading their old, you know, their original AirPods 1s or 2s to have them. And we and I have talked what they're good headphones. You get things like, I presume Beats... Uh, headphones are incorporated in this as well so beats fit flex or beats beats fit flex yeah which are the ones with the wings that you can screw into your ear seem to have been reviewed extremely well you know i think there's quite a lot of demand in the headphone market although they're down a little bit too at 7.8 percent but yeah it's interesting isn't it that wearables is bigger than ipad and bigger than mac it's it's crazy it's just mad and like i say the average selling point being so much lower because i you've got to imagine the average selling point for a watch is the aluminum one or aluminium one that, that we've got I can't imagine everybody's buying the, the more expensive stainless steel ones. And so they're, what, four or 500 pounds, say. And then the AirPods are about 150, say, on average. I don't know. It depends how many people buy pro and regular ones. So there must be shifting a lot of units. Yeah. People like their headphones. i got to say my AirPods Pro are probably the best headphones I've had, excusing the Sonys I've got on my head at the moment, and I know you like your AirPods Max there. So they're good headphones, and we, you and I have said on this show, if they broke, we'd buy more ones. Oh, easily. I was nervous the other day my kids picked up my AirPods Max, and I was like, no, don't touch them, because I don't want to pony up another 500 quid. But they are a stunning pair of headphones. I love them. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel the same about the AirPods Pro. They're the best thing. Well, I like the original AirPods. They were good for walking the dog. I was always slightly nervous with the way they fitted in my ears when I bent over to pick up the dog's poo. I don't have that fear with the AirPods Pro. So that's a major selling point, as well as the noise cancellation. Cancellation. It's a better fit. We've obviously got similar shaped ears because I have the same problem. If if you just sprinted over a road or something, you guarantee one would fall out. Whereas the Pro, perfect fit for me. Yeah, I lost one in the snow once. I was walking the dog early morning in the park and it had snowed. And you try finding in the dark, you know, a white headphone that's fallen in the snow. It was quite hard. Thankfully, I remembered to play that tone thing you can get them to play when you think you've lost one, and that worked really well. I was just about to say, surely use the Find My app. I certainly did. And the last point on the Q3 earnings here is services up 12% year on year at 19.6 billion. That's a lot of money. I'd love Apple to release a bit more detail. Like on the bar graph, show us just what stacks up to make it you know how much is apple tv how much is itunes yeah music how much is apple one it'd be great to see that breakdown you've got to think though a lot of that services is going to be music and tv surely that's a big big portion i'd have thought so maybe there is the smaller portion who people who've got it just for apple fitness plus or you know who, who still buy 
I know you still buy movies off iTunes, if it's still called iTunes. You know, there is still that sort of slight turnover in those side of the revenue streams as well. But I would have thought, I'm with you. I think the bigger part of it is, is Music Plus. A little bit is Apple TV Plus. I bet a very, very small portion is iBooks, if it's still called that, Apple Books. So, yeah. So, so it's called Apple Books and iTunes Store still exists, but you can buy them in the Apple TV Store. So it's the iTunes store is a bit of a weird one and I expect it to be removed out of iOS 16 because they've done it in the TV app, but they've still kept it going in both places, which it seems a bit a bit strange to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Odd. Oh, well, I think that'll do us for the Apple earnings call. I mean, once again, good. It was interesting to note that they haven't issued any guidance for this quarter because they, they can't say what the supply chain is going to do. So that's a bit of a get out of jail free for them, I think. Or what they're going to release. Well, there is that too. I mean, there's definitely, let's face it, we're not that far away from September now, which is when they have the iPhone event, and we're, we're going to see the next uh, versions of the iPhone without the iPhone mini this time, it seems. But, you know, there's 40 billion and a quarter just in iPhones in this quarter, so when they release new ones with new colours and all the rest of it, I'm sure they'll get another massive boost. Oh, yeah, the last quarter of the year is going to be huge, which I think is their third quarter, isn't it? This, no? was, thir- this was third quarter, apparently. So the iPhone will be their Q1, won't it? Yeah. Interesting times. Good. Okay. I think that'll do us for earnings. Beta 4 was released for iPads, iPhones, watches, and Macs and Ventura, and public Beta 2. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, you forgot to mention TV. Oh, of course. Why? How could I forget TV? You've told me repeatedly you can't see any difference between this version of the Beta and the, la- and the last production one. So I think it just slips my head. Yeah, there's no difference that, or no discernible difference. So. Yeah, I've updated everything. I did move my phone over onto the public beta because I thought it just might be less login. So interesting that when you you delete the developer profile, you install the public beta profile, and then nothing happened because there's no new version out when I did it. And then obviously I had to wait until the day after the developer one came out. So the public one's out, download it, just reinstalled over the top. My phone has been a lot cooler since doing it, but I don't know if that's just this version of the beta or whether it's because I'm on the public beta. So it's not a fair test. So I'd say, because I've stayed on the developer beta, the developer beta 4, my phone is back to the way that it was pretty much when it was on production iOS 13, 14. Where are we? What is this? This is iOS 15. IOS, yeah. So whatever the one was before, it's cool as anything. The battery's performing. It doesn't get warm anymore. I've still got the app crashes. But other than that, it's it's a very stable operating system that I've got no issues with at all. I think it on the phone, I think it's really good. I think they've done a cracking job with it i think it's working great it amazes me how often they keep futzing with the wallpaper picker and how you move everything around they've spent however many man hours on that thing so but it's looking good well the live feed thing has been introduced in this beta there's no services that make use of it so this was the thing that would give you continuous streaming score updates for baseball matches and that kind of thing that they showed during the keynote the API has been made live, so I know that Guillermo Rambo and a couple of developers of that have been playing with it, and it works. You can call the API and you know give a continuous battery update charge, stream something from a website to it. So that'll be interesting. That will be something that actually looks different when the production version of the operating system goes out and developers make that available. But for the moment, we as end users wouldn't see any benefit for that. So I'm glad that that's coming to this release and not being kicked down the road a little bit. Yeah, it does feel like it's all coming together. They've also just... I think like the day after dropped test flight update out, 
which allows you to submit apps that use like DriverKit and that API that you've just mentioned for the iPhone and DriverKit on the iPad, that is. And so it does feel like they're slowly bringing everything together and all the all the mechanisms to do the testing and, and submit the apps and stuff. So, so it feels like it's going to be a good good release. Yeah, I'm with you. Obviously, I'm off the macOS beta train because it was causing us too much problems on the podcast and I wasn't installing it on my shiny laptop. So my experience is good on the phone, but I'm sensing that your opinion of the iPad beta hasn't gone so well. So we're on the fourth developer beer for the iPad. My iPad is very hot. It's been on all day. I've used it all day, which is great. The split screen stuff's working okay, but there's still so many bugs on it, and not a lot of change. Not a lot has changed in the four beaters that is noticeable. And I'm just really surprised because I really expected it to iterate, move on, and really change a lot. But you can't use Command Tab because it generally crashes. If you click a link in an email, whatever you've got on the iPad screen. It takes that over rather than showing you Safari in the window next to your email client. So it just feels like it's a, a bunch of stuff in there that isn't quite there yet. But then it has allowed me to just use my iPad, have the camera on, have, have my Teams app on my iPad and use my big screen for everything else. So the promise is there. It just hasn't iterated as quickly as I thought it would have done. Yeah, And I still can't drag windows between my iPad and the and the studio display like Craig did back in June. So I don't get how he was able to demo that unless they faked it and four releases later. So, so I don't know. It just feels like it hasn't moved on. Whereas considering they're introducing windowing to the OS, I expected a lot more to change. There is some great stuff in there. Like you can now close apps on the iPad and all of that sort of stuff. But I think they've still got some way to go. And I thought it would iterate quicker. Yeah, they don't seem to be doing quite so well with this side of it. I guess there's a lot of moving parts with the beta, but this doesn't seem to have changed the last three times you've talked about it, more or less since the beta was launched, actually. So considering this has been by far the biggest standout feature, I find it quite surprising that they haven't really improved it in any way. Yeah, it's probably got slightly more robust, definitely crashes a little less. Certainly noticed that today, a little less. I've still got crashes, but it just, I don't know, it just feels very slow to progress, so... Maybe, maybe there's some more coming. I don't know. Maybe they're working on. I thought maybe they'd been working on a really big update that would come in at a beer, but I don't know, it seems very minor iterative steps. And I, I don't know. I think I expected more early on. The promise is there, though. Yeah, it looks good. And I've read a couple of reviewers who've, who've been trying to make use of it the best that they can, saying that there's an awful lot they don't like about it. It's changed the way they use their iPads. And then there's been the odd doubter that's gone, well, this is yet another windowing manager for the iPad. And they've had a go at, you know, side-by-side, split-screen, split the drag-over thing, pop-over, pop is that what it's called? Slide-over. Slide-over. You know, that's all still there. They've put in another thing, you know, they've messed around with the sort of buttons at the top to make this one pinned to the left, pinned to the right, you know, understand what's going with it. And I agree, they haven't cleaned the cruft out of these pre- this, these previous incarnations of the system, really. And I almost feel like they need to put all their money on one option, really, rather than sort of hedging their bets the way people use it. You don't have this range of options on the Mac. You drag your windows around, you get them where you want them, you go full screen, and there's some rubbish stuff around, around the window manager. But generally, they've stuck to the paradigm that they've picked. So this sort of rapid evolution, even only in the last sort of two or three versions of iPadOS, despite the fact we've all, we've all been demanding on it, I think the fact that their attention is split between maintaining all these things and bringing in a new thing, it's maybe slowing them down a bit. Yeah, so as soon as you turn on Stage Manager, you kind of lose all the other ways of doing it, if that makes sense. So uh, this is definitely the future. I wouldn't be surprised future versions, you know, on an M2 and with more RAM, you might have to have more apps on the screen at once. 
So I haven't really used Slido over on my iPad. You know, since I installed iPad OS 16, I've just gone all in on this. And it is good, but I do get your point. How much pain are they making for themselves by having the single window mode, the the old way where you could have three apps, where you could have you know, a split in the middle and a slide over. And then you've got stage manager on the top. So yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. They're making their life harder, but this is definitely the right way of going, I believe, because it does work. But I think what we need is all the apps released built against iPadOS 16 and just just some more updates on it to actually make it work so when you command tab or you click a link it doesn't just move all your windows around because that is the most annoying thing yeah I I do feel your pain on that that would drive me absolutely crazy it might stop me using it actually yeah I I mean again not having tried it on the iPad I tried the the Mac version briefly and it worked okay but it it wasn't native it never felt like it was meant to be there it felt like it because they could do it they'd put it in place but on a Mac, at least, I could resize the window to exactly what I wanted it to be. And it looks like from the video I've seen of people using Stage Manager on uh, Stage Manager, I got it right for once, I didn't say center stage. When they go to resize a window, it tries to snap to those screen sizes that are available as you'd have in the split screen mode. So obviously the apps need to be made more aware that they're in a windowing mode rather than sort of in a split screen mode or something like that. But even Apple's apps look like they do it to me. So Safari and the rest of them also look like this resize and jumps rather than going, I want it exactly that size. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. They do jump a little bit. I'm less fussed about that. I think the thing that annoys me more is when I drag one over on the left and he goes, oh, you've only got one app. I'll stick it in the middle and I'll try and auto arrange it for you. I kind of want a, a button to turn off the auto arrangement because I'm putting it on the left because I know I'm going to put another app on the right. But it's trying to be too clever in the auto arrangement. And I think they need to give you an option to turn that on and off. But I, I love what they're doing with it. It's perfect. Yeah, if you're mostly happy, that's good. And, and the last couple of things like links and command tabs sounds like something that should be fixed is a beta. You've got to give them the benefit of the doubt because it is a beta. But, you know, as long as you're generally happy with the direction it's going, then these are minor criticisms, aren't they? If it comes to the end of it and they've given you 98% of what they promised to give you, you're going to be happy with it. They're definitely going in the right direction. I love the concept that they you see it. And like I said, once you've turned it on, if you're a big iPad user, there's no going back. It's just, they just need to make it more robust, I think. And like I say, I think I just expect it to iterate quicker than what it has and be more robust quicker, but it will get there. I've got faith. Fair enough. Next story is involves Donald Trump in a, in a sort of sideways way. So there is an ongoing congressional hearing at the moment on the Capitol riots that's happening in America. And the Secret Service were subpoenaed, I guess, to find out what, what texts had been going on while the, the Capitol riot was ongoing. And they have been unable to recover the texts from what happened on that day. And they blame iMessage for this, or messages as it is now, because they have encrypted storage and nobody's able to recover the encrypted stored messages. Yeah, so unlike email that you run in a corporate environment, you can't just go and do a, a global search and grab all the data. This is a problem we have. You know, if people text or use WhatsApp or any other platform that isn't under central control for the organization, when people ask for data, we can search everything that is centralized, but things like this, you just can't search. It's really frustrating. You kind of need a mode. It's a business phone with iMessage, therefore we own the data and let, let the business be able to get it. Same in this scenario with the Secret Service. The employee should have a business phone that they hold all the data for and they should be able to turn on litigation hold, which is what you turn on on email. That means even if the user deletes it, the email is still there in the background as it's got to be preserved for legal reasons. Yeah, and that's certainly true of, of the people who live in the White House. 
So, you know, any, any calls or communications that the president and presumably the vice president make are all public record. So, you know, they should be stored in, an, in a free text way, which without going into the politics of it is part of the bones of contention here is that some of that wasn't necessarily the case, allegedly. But, I mean, th this is quite interesting. The sort of the phrase that stood out in this article to me is that the agency, the Secret Service, is now considering disabling iMessage entirely on agents' devices to prevent this from happening in future. For context, iMessage is already banned in the White House. The agency is also weighing other options. So that's exactly what you said. If it's a work phone, you should use a work platform to which those messages are backed up and, and searchable and, you know, or should be encrypted, presumably, because, you know, I guess bad actors against a state like the United States would want access to that. So it should be managed by the you know the agency in, in an appropriate way, in the same way you're talking about it for your corporate communications. But it, it's 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 slightly crazy to me that we're allowed to you know run with the phones in this in, in, in this sort of state in the first place. Yeah, I mean, really, they should be on like Teams or something where it's all stored server side. You can search it and. and police it as it were it does seem bonkers that yeah this is allowed but it's a really hard thing to govern and if you then allow bring your own device as well what do you do there but for some reason you see in organizations people think texting is different to doing teams im and it's like well it's kind of the same thing really because most people have it all on the same device so i'm amazed they're still thinking about it if this is such a problem for them yeah and i know a whatsapp have a whatsapp for business and i presume whatsapp for business is stored in some sort of central repository but there are all sorts of solutions for this that you know that in the open source world there's things like rocket chat that can be encrypted can go to a, a central server you've mentioned things like teams i don't think it's end-to-end -end encrypted though teams off the top of my head which might be a requirement for an agency such as the secret service and iMessage is end-to-end -end encrypted as is iMessage as is telegram as is signal and i presume whatsapp for business is end-to-end -end encrypted back to business i'd need to check on that but it seems to me that they should pick whatever standard, probably Discord is end-to-end -end encrypted at this stage, frankly, you know, the, rather than relying on, you know, an agent or an agency to, to manage this themselves, there should be some sort of government mandate that whatever works for Agency X, Secret Service, TSA, you know, FBI, whatever it is, should be the same one that's applied across a governmental patch with, with the appropriate lockouts held by the, you know, the directors of that agency. So uh, interesting, though. Yeah, it is interesting. They should if they've got concerns, they should be just pulling it now, surely, and disabling it. Because you know people just default to it because they're used to it. Yeah, and you're going to message your mate. And, you know, if you've just started and your mate's on that, then you, and that's how it ends. And I presume, you know, the police in our country are no better and they will use the device that comes with it, you know, the, the, the service that comes with the device. It's, it's, yeah, I'd have thought so. Yeah. Anyway, interesting, and I guess we'll see what happens with it. But as we've seen in several cases, including ones involving the FBI and Apple, when those encryption keys are lost, there is no getting it out of the device. That's the end of it, and which is both a positive and a negative. I mean, they're unable to supply the information that they should do in a fairly critical event in America's history. But at the same time, it worked as advertised, and you know the encryption worked, and nobody can break it, even the Secret Service. I do wonder, though, whether they don't want to get the messages out. Well, there could be a bit of that too, but who are we to comment? Right. Next story. So for those that don't know, the sort of father of Linux is a guy called Linus Torvalds who wrote the Linux kernel in Finland, I think it was. You and I were taught this in our computer science degree, I remember back in the day. Based 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago, but there was an operating system at the time called Minix, which a guy called Richard Tannenbaum wrote. This is all off the top of my head, so hopefully I haven't got it too wrong. Richard Tannenbaum wrote, which we were taught in Structured Computer Organization was the name of the book, which was a, a Unix-like operating system, and Linus Torvalds thought he could 
could do something better. So he wrote his own kernel, sort of the fundamental input-output management of an operating system is the kernel. Linus Torvalds wrote the kernel, and Linux, the operating system, which was Linux-like, everything's a file, was born from that point. I guess it's more than 30 or 40 years ago now at this point that Linux has been around. Anyway, all that is to say, the last update that he pushed to the Linux kernel, because Linus is still in charge of the Linux kernel, was pushed from a Mac. I'm not, I'm not surprised by this, you? I am a little bit, because I, Linux hasn't pushed towards ARM architectures in the same way that, you know, well, that Apple has, certainly. And the fact that this came from an M1 Mac running Asahi Linux, I'm just really impressed with. And if you read the post, and it is the post to the, 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 the Linux net where, where, where he does post all of these things, you know, he says, it's the third time I'm using Apple hardware for Linux development, only the third time. I did it many years ago for PowerPC development on a PPC 970 machine, and then a decade plus ago when the MacBook Air was the only really thin and light around, and now as an ARM64 platform. So I think this is great that they've got Linux on Macs, M M1 Macs and M2 Macs specifically, to such a state that the maintainer of the kernel, the guy who wrote the thing in the first place, is able to sort of push his updates and do do some sort of work on it. I think it's great. It is really good, but I'm not surprised because it's, you know, he's a, he's a computer guy. He's going to want a really nice piece of hardware to run it on. We know Apple make the best laptops, so why wouldn't he have an Apple laptop? Yeah, I... The, Often open source people have got problems with Apple hardware because it is quite closed down in some way, shape, manner, or format. And I know the reverse engineering of bits of Linux to get it to work on, the ARM chips particularly, has not been trivial. If you look at the things that still don't work in Asahi Linux, there's, there's a lot of them. The Bluetooth stack is a problem. I think, you know, the, the webcams are a problem. They, you know, there's, there's bits and pieces that don't get... So, you know, they're sort of pushing the boulder uphill trying to do all this. But I don't think Apple are actively negative about them doing them in, the, in the some way some manufacturers are. There's been an awful lot of hoo-ha in the Linux world at the moment about the secure boot that is built into Windows these days, that you're unable even to get into the firmware, the EFI or the BIOS, whatever it is these days, to actually change it enough to allow it you know, to install Linux. And I think, is it Boot Locker? Is that the Windows secure thing? I think it's... I can't, sorry, I'm having a moment. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, there, there's a secure app boot encryption that can happen in Windows NTFS file systems, and it's called something like BitLocker. BitLocker. Yeah. And that requires the trusted platform module, which has to be turned on in the BIOS or the, or the UEFI, whatever it is these days. I, I lose track of what it is. Let's call it the firmware, which it's not, but it's something like that. And if that's enabled and password protected by your organization on something like a new ThinkPad, you can't install Linux on the on the laptop. We, I've seen it a couple of times now in the university because of the way some, some laptops arrive from the manufacturer and I've heard about it in other enterprise too. So it, I just find it fascinating that, you know, actually in some cases, Apple is a more open platform than, than others. Yeah, okay. I can understand your point of view there. It makes sense. There you go. Anyway, cool little article. I thought it was interesting. And our last one in the news, because again, not a lot of rumors around at the moment, is that Apple Pay, which at the moment requires Safari or an Apple device such as an iPhone or a watch or something like that to work, is likely to be added to third-party browsers such as Chrome and Firefox in iOS 16. And uh, this is a no-brainer for me because they're already using the Safari engine on the uh, on iOS and iPadOS. Why wouldn't they do this? It's just another thing they can't be nagged at for being anti-competitive and allowing other browsers to use it. So I think this is good. Yeah, I would hope to see it on the Mac as well. I'd like to see it in the Brave browser on, on Mac and, and others. Why not? If it's some sort of secure thing that's built on the operating system and you can authenticate it as being the right user, then you should surface it in whatever browser you're using. And it makes them look a little less anti-competitive. 
And it is awesome because you can pay without having to put your credit card into another website, which is what you want. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So I think this is just a win. The the headline in the article from 9to5Mac, which is in the show notes, is that this is a likely response to the Digital Markets Act that we talked about last week. So maybe this is already having an impact. So I would hope we'd see a little more movement in the direction of making the services available for all, or at least more, in, a, in at least a way with an API or something, and not just locking it down to their thing, their thing, their thing all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this is really good. Yep, good. Fine. That'll do us for news and rumors then. And plenty of them there was this week. So on to media. We've talked about music streaming apps before. Would you go to TikTok for your music streaming app? I, I don't use TikTok yet so i'm not sure i'm in the right demographic for this i'm surprised they're doing this because i don't know seemed for me it just seemed a bit of an odd mix but i guess if you've got an audience in tiktok why wouldn't you put your music there too so how about you would you use it i don't think i would because again i'm the wrong demographic but my kids if we've talked about this before love tiktok they, they spend half the lives in tiktok as far as i can see if it's not tiktok it's this other thing called be real but that's not the same thing. Yeah, I know I hadn't heard of it either. So this is interesting. If you think they know who's on their service, they know the kinds of videos they watch. Often those videos have music in them anyway. So their algorithm is already partially trained for the kinds of things that they want. So to me, and and remembering TikTok started off as a a sing over the top of the music. It was almost like a karaoke app to begin with. They've got a huge amount of data that they could furnish into making quite a sophisticated algorithm for music streaming. Yeah, no, I guess when you put it like that, it does kind of make sense. Like if you're going to go after the the younger market, as it were, and leave what Apple, Amazon and Spotify for the mid to late generations, it probably does make sense. There is a gap in the market there. Yeah, I think it's just, if, if it comes to pass, I think it's just very clever, actually, that they've got an eye on the future and not, not the people that are, you know, because we're embedded in spotify or apple music in my case more apple music these days i know you've always been embedded in apple music and you haven't had a lot of interest in spotify i don't think apple's algorithm at music discovery is anywhere near as good as spotify's for lots of reasons but i won't go into all that now it's adequate apple music it mostly plays what i want it to you've said before about hey dingus play me something i'd like and it does and i tried that on your recommendation and it does it's okay that's the killer feature for a home pod for me. Hey, dingus, play me something I like, and I usually get some tunes that are in my wheelhouse. I love it. Yeah, and I tried the Hey Dingus, play me '90s rock the other day, and it started with "Killing in the Name of" by Rage Against the Machine. So I thought, oh, fair enough, Apple, you've nailed that. That's exactly the song you should start with for '90s rock. So yeah, okay, but again, you know, the sort of curated stuff for what's new and upcoming, nowhere near, good, near as good as Spotify. But you know, I think there is a gap in the market here for TikTok. Yeah, no, I'd agree with your comment. I think like new releases, I can't remember what it was, but there was an album out. I had all their other albums, but it, the new album didn't come up in new releases and I only caught it by chance somewhere else. So, oh, I should go, go and add that to my Apple Music library. So I do agree with you there. Yeah, I worry about things that are missing in Apple Music. And just a small recommendation, I don't think I've said it before. There's an app called Music Harbor. It's free. You go into it, you put in some artists that you like or even record labels you like, if you know you like things from a particular record label. And it will warn you with plenty of time what's up and coming. And it works quite well. I get a little notification in the morning if something is there. I click on it and it tells me there's a new Florence and the Machine album or there's a new Nick Cave album or whatever it is. It happens to be the thing, the, the, the artist that I'm interested in. Or even remixes sometimes are re-releases. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Apple's ever really nailed that these, like in the iTunes store, these films are coming out on this day. 
like what's coming out next week what's coming out the week after they've never really had a great way of browsing it and i think it's the same in music yeah it's a shame anyway interesting other media stuff for all mankind season three just finished episode eight are you you you've been on holiday you won't be up to date no. not up to date at all because i want to watch on my big 4k telly fair enough watch it it's great it has not slackened its pace if anything it's it's heating the pace up i'm really impressed with it it's a great show okay point noted i need to catch up on a whole bunch of stuff and at the same time there's something new that's come out it came out last week looks interesting it's called surface which i haven't watched yet but the synopsis is a traumatic head injury leaves sophie with extreme memory loss in her quest to put the pieces of her life back together with help from her husband and kids sophie begins to question the truth behind her picture perfect life that sounds quite interesting bit thrillery it's not the first thing to have done like an amnesia sort of background to something but it looks very stylish it's got that apple sheen i think i'll give this one a go Made me think of the long kiss goodnight when you read out the synopsis. If you remember that with Brian Cox, Samuel Jackson, and Gina Davis, I do remember that back in the nineties, sometime. Yeah, I, and there's, there was a British TV show, the name of which completely escapes me at the moment. Recently, that was more or less the same sort of thing. I think the husband had pushed the wife down the stairs, but it was all a mystery. Spoilers if you have seen this mystery TV show, but same sort of concept. But I quite like that as a concept. I'm, I'll wait till For All Mankind's finished, I think, and I'll give it a shot. Yeah, so, so you said you're on episode eight of Full Mankind. So yeah. is it more than eight episodes? Two left. Two left, okay. Which seems to be Apple sort of standard. They tend to do like 10, it seems to me. I think Foundation was 10 as well. I still haven't watched that either. Tut. Anyway, that, that's on my radar for things to watch on Apple TV. How about you? What have you been up to? I must confess, whilst being away, I did rewatch a bunch of Ted Lasso, actually. Season two. I thought, well, season, they keep talking about season three a little bit and the story arc. I thought I'll go back and watch some of it. I quite enjoyed it. I must confess, I don't like the beard night out one. That's just a bit weird. And the Christmas one felt out of place. That I don't get why they didn't keep that as a Christmas special and why they put it in the middle because it's a standalone episode. But the rest of it, love it. So I've been quite enjoying that. I'm with you. The, the beard one stood out as an experiment that went very wrong to me or or just didn't go right. It was, just, it was, it was off kilter with the rest of the season. It's just a nothing episode. Nothing really tangible happens in it. It's not that funny. I don't know. I just wonder if the actor had a clause to get an episode to himself or something. So, you know, that's what he got. I'm I'm with you. It didn't add anything. And it's a bit of a downer on the whole season, actually. Yeah. Or maybe they was just sat around the table and go, oh, you know what would be great? Beard, having a night out would be amazing. And then the reality of it just did not live up to the preconception, maybe. And you can see that because on the face of it, that sounds really interesting episode. And you get to it. I don't know, because it's missing everybody else. Yeah, it works as an ensemble, doesn't it? You need you need everybody else that's there. And that's interesting. I I guess I, I might watch season two again. I think I've watched Ted Lasso from beginning to end three times now, and I, that's probably enough. Actually, I've got, I know what's going on. I know who the characters are. I like them all very much. I'm glad they're finishing in season three. Hopefully on a high. I think it's it's hopefully on high. We shall see. And I've said before, the writer of that show, name of which escapes me, who also did Scrubs back in the day. Oh, I was going to say Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy. He's one of the writers as well, isn't he? He is one of the writers, but he's not the showrunner, I don't think. So, uh, okay, go ahead. So the guy who was the showrunner for Scrubs, which I will Google frantically in the background next time you talk, that show, and he, he is actually a doctor, I think. He started as a, as a medic himself and went off to write TV, but he's the showrunner for Ted Lasso. Okay, that makes sense. I enjoyed Scrubs too. I never caught the end of it, but I don't know, the first five seasons I think I quite enjoyed. 
So it's Bill Lawrence is the guy who wrote Scrubs and and does Ted Lasso. Very talented writer. And yeah, so he's got pedigree. I'm willing to give him a go for for those kinds of shows, really. Yeah, agreed. And I wonder, though, they say they got a three-season arc. I wonder, though, will they carry on because it's been so successful? And that could go one of two ways. Yeah, I got to think if Apple keep putting things on the table, then there's definitely going to be life in it, isn't there? Yeah, but you don't want them to go too many seasons and, and ruin what they've done. So I'm just looking at Bill Lawrence, and he wrote an episode of Friends, which is interesting. He wrote Spin City. Did you ever watch Spin City with Michael J. Fox? Not really. I've seen bits of it, but I'm aware of it, which is odd because I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan. Yeah, that was good. Scrubs, he was a he was showrunner for. Cougar Town, which has Courtney Cox in. I watched a couple of episodes of that. That was reasonably funny. And Ted Lasso, and a couple. Of, he's got up-and-coming ones. Head of the Class, Bad Monkey, and Shrinking to come. He's got quite a lot coming, then. He has. He's been a busy, guy, a busy guy. Busy guy. Anyway, that'll do us for Ted Lasso, I think. Any news on your favourite film this so far this year? Lightyear comes out on Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're excited. I will watch it. I'll probably watch it with the family, because we do still like the odd animated thing. I can't say I'm quite as excited for it as you are, but you never know. Maybe it'll turn me around. I loved it. I thought it was really well done. I liked the story. Interstellar. With Buzz Lightyear, what more do you want? Was Interstellar all that good, though? I quite liked Interstellar. It was well, all... up until the weird bit at the end. Yeah, the ending kind of spoils it. It's not one of his best films, i got to say, Interstellar. You know, it's, although, I have watched Tenet twice again since since that was released, and that's grown on me. I think Tenet is a better film than I gave it credit for. Did you know, big spoiler alert, but when, they, when they're playing the other side of the time that it's the same music but played backwards and stuff it's the amount of thought that's gone into that film is immense and there is a genuine halfway point to the film the bit where he goes into the reverse room the first time and comes back out of it that is the midpoint of the film it's a very very clever film yeah it, i think it's too clever in some ways because majority of people won't get it but no it's very clever did you see actually trailer out for or a teaser trailer out for oppenheimer which is Christopher Nolan's new film. I believe it's about somebody that makes or was involved in the atom bomb. Yeah, he was. He has become death destroyer worlds, is Oppenheimer's quote, I'm sure. Okay. But played by Killian Murphy, Robert Oppenheimer. But the teaser shows you nothing, basically. And there's like a hell of a cast in it, but you, you just see a little bit of the main guy, Cillian Murphy, I think I said that correctly. And that's it. I, I thought you were going to say it blew you away, which would have been a terrible joke about atom bombs, but... No, I don't think I'm into making jokes on that bombs. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I haven't seen the teaser trailer. Yes, I will watch Lightyear when it comes out. I'll give it a chance. Maybe, maybe, maybe well, my kids are a bit older, but they still like an animated thing, so that's fine. I thought I'd throw in sort of a bit of feedback on the big switch over to my new broadband provider, which sort of feeds into media. When I've cancelled my current Virgin account, I've lost access to BT Sport. Ironically, I'm not paying for BT Sport having moved to BT. So I had to go and investigate, and I haven't committed to it yet, but there's still half a season of MotoGP to go. So I went to look at what my options were if I wanted to watch MotoGP, which I've watched religiously since, let me think about this, 1996. I have watched every season of MotoGP. Never missed one. And there is a MotoGP app, which you can get. It's got its own commentary and everything. I presume Formula One must do the same thing. I don't know. They're massively in bed with Sky. But in this country. So I, I, what I suspect happens is, certainly in the MotoGP world, they have the rights to it. 
They have local deals, national deals, where the, the mm. UK supplier is BT Sport, the Spanish supplier is DAZN, the American supplier is whoever it is, ESPN. And I presume the same thing happens where they sell the TV rights to various companies around the world. Yeah, I think they all get the same feed and then obviously they commentate on it in, in their local dialect. Exactly. So that is what you get. If you go to Dorna, who own MotoGP, and buy their app or a subscription to their app, it's €169 Euros for a year. So I don't know. I, I think it's still cheaper than me subscribing to BT Sport, you know, in, in another format. But it seems like a big hit for a subscription to an app for a year, for half a season. It does, but I did something similar with Now TV in the UK to watch the Formula One. They were doing a deal where you could buy it for the 10 months that the season ran for, and it was like 100-odd quid, but you could watch every race. And I did do that before I had Sky, and that, that was quite good, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I'll report back on yet another streaming app. And I, and I apologize in advance if anyone can hear my dog barking. There's not a lot I can do with that at the moment. She wants to. Do they provide apps on every platform? So there is a MotoGP app for iOS. There seems to be a MotoGP app for Mac. Certainly, I think it's a web-based thing. I'll probably need to install some Widevine media player or something. But the fact that I can get it on an iPad or my phone, let's face it, is very important. I can airplay it then onto my large TV. Hopefully it'll look good. Unless they've stopped AirPlay, which you can do in some apps. Sky do that. The only reason I ask is because Sky donate your AirPlay from your iPad to your TV. But they have now just released this week Apple TV app, which has made my day because I can now watch Sky in my shed. Yeah, you've made me look now. And the first Sorry. response I see is MotoGP website blocking AirPlay. So that's made me unhappy. It's worth checking because Sky did that and I was so cheesed off. I was like, Sky, I'm paying you £50 a month. Don't worry about how I want to consume your services. Just let me get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. MotoGP Video Pass app now available for Apple TV. I'm okay. So, so Sky have just launched the app and it's brilliant. It's just what I wanted. So I'm super happy. Well, I'll feed back on that. It looks like there's a discount if I only buy half a season. It's only €100 Euros if I buy half a season. So that's... Hey, I know, what a bargain. Anyway, that's we've managed to turn quite a bit out of media there, to be fair, considering it's been quite a quiet week. And we can move on to games, which has also been a quiet week for. There's a little news story this week about a PlayStation iPhone controller, which I just thought was a fascinating thing for Sony to make a piece of hardware that expands around your iPhone and turns it into a more or less a dual shock controller. Did you see this story? Yeah, I did see it. And it's a bit weird, given that Apple have now supported all the controllers under the sun, Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo. And now Sony are going off and making this. And obviously Sony recently announced the new monitor that we were talking about and some new headphones. So it feels like they've had some people at Sony just going off in COVID times, coming up with stuff. And this is one of them. What, what, what do you think? I quite like so. I quite like the design of the thing in the sense that it does look a bit like a DualShock controller. The stick layout's wrong. The stick layout's Xbox stick layout. So you've got the joy the joysticks top left and bottom right, which is absolutely Xbox and not Sony, where they should just be both at the bottom. But if you look at it, it sort of expands around your phone. So it'll go from an iPhone 13 to a, a Pro Max, for example, because it'll stretch. It's got a dock connector on it. It's got a lightning connector on it, not a dock connector, where you can snap the, the phone into that and then it will actually, you can charge it while it's in the cradle. This says to me it's either for very long gaming sessions or they just expect you to leave it on. It is interesting. It gives you a headphone socket on it as well, though. Yeah, it does look cool. I wouldn't mind this for my iPad mini. You know, I think that would that'd be a good good size, but it's a shame they don't do a USB-C one. But that, it looks quite well thought out. It looks typical Sony, well-made. Like I kind of agree with you. It doesn't look overly 
Sony. So is it just for use for doing remote play? I presume you can use it for other controller-enabled games on the iPhone. I mean, obviously that's what they've got in mind for it, is they want to use remote play from your PlayStation 5, you know, to, to make use of something. But it has to work just as a normal made-for-iPhone controller, surely. Yep. Games on the App Store, Apple, Apple Arcade, or Xbox Remote Play, and more. So if you do use, make use of any of those services, it's going to work with them too. Well, why has he got an adapter for the iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max? Because aren't they the same as the iPhone 12 Pro? Maybe because the camera location is slightly different on it, or a bigger camera bump, bump, you need to sort of move it so it sits on the controller better. See, that would put me off, because what happens when you get the iPhone 14? Yeah, well, you're only, you're dropping ninety nine ninety nine on a controller. You've got to be pretty much into your games anyway, when, as you've said, you can just pair, you know, any old, any old DualShock 4 or 5 you've got lying around. Or, or Xbox controller, or, you know, 8-bit do, or uh, I think that you were meant to be trying the Joy-Cons from the Nintendo Switch as well. I haven't done the Joy-Cons, but I did do the Pro Controller, and that, that worked fine. So this is a stretch. If, you've already, if you're an, a gamer, the chances are you've already got a controller lying around. You've just got to be a massive iPhone gamer, I think, to, to want something like this. It's about a year late. They should launch this before Apple launched all the support. Yeah. You're not wrong. Interesting idea. I like to see a bit of innovation in the space. Well done, Sony. I don't think they'll sell many. Agreed. And just the last story in gaming for me, unless you want to update us on what you've been playing while you've been in Scotland, just about from The Verge, which is worth a read, actually, rather than us go through it, about how subscription gaming have made iPhone fun again. You just don't want me to talk about my beating my top score on threes. <laughs> well, if that's your only gaming story, then hit us with it. Uh, it's my gaming story. I've played threes a lot in the last two weeks, and I finally beat my top score and only by 6,000. But I beat it, and I was happy with that. That's all that matters. And you had Into the Breach on your phone, and you didn't. And worse than that, you had Slay the Spire access to, and you didn't look at that either. I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm still coming back to threes, which I hate to think how old threes is. But there you go. Anyway, this is just a little interesting article on The, on the Verge that's worth a read, where it does talk about the subscription model being really good for mobile platforms. And we've talked about this before. Apple Arcade is a good thing for Apple platforms. There are there are a bunch of classic games in there that people may not have seen before that they now can have access to for a relatively, relatively small amount of money. You can go through the back catalogue, you can get your gaming fix in, there's things there for the kids. You can attach a PlayStation controller to it if you really want to, you know, for some of the driving games and things like that. And there are some deep games in there as well. Things like Oceanhorn are really quite big games, which do belong on a Switch or, or some of the consoles. So, you know, and Into the Breach is a, a big deep game from a few years ago. I saw this week that Papers, Please is coming to specifically to iPhone too, and, and, and Android actually. So in that sort of smaller format. So it's really good. And there's a bit of a rena renaissance there. And Apple could be a better gaming company and i just like this article is pointing out the fact that this is good for these platforms it's reasons to keep the device and have a better device for, to play these games on it's good no, i think it is good i like like apple arcade my i know that when my children want to play some on the ipad i can just go go to the arcade tab if it's something that you want to play just download it i'll approve it and off you go and normally it's it's going to be up to a good enough quality and i'm, I'm going to get nickel and dimed yep yep it's a good thing anyway an interesting read. I think that'll do us for games. Most of the show this week has been on news, which isn't surprising sometimes with the way that the news comes in. But for the main show, I just thought I'd tell you about a little experiment that I tried this last week with the Google Pixel 6 Pro, if you're interested. Yeah, I am interested. I know not a lot about Android, as 
I'm sure you've heard. None of my family members have got an Android device. It looks very nice. It's very nice. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. So cards on the table, this is a device for work, it's for testing our website, it's for making sure everything works on the website. So I put, my, I thought, well, while I've got it, and it's deliberate, definitely for testing the website, I may as well have a proper go of running an Android phone for a little bit. And, you know, I'll, I'll load up our, our academic website and I'll, I'll see how that sort of plugs into it. So first impressions, it's a really nice bit of hardware. This is a Pixel 6 Pro, it's the big one. It is more or less the same size as my as my iPhone 13 Pro Max. You know, the screen's slightly, the same. S- slightly squared off corners is the only thing I'd notice. I like what they've done with the strip on the back for the camera. It looks kind of cool. Yeah, and you have got three cameras in there. You've got portrait, you've got a zoom, and you've got a, a wide one as well. So the camera's very good. The camera is excellent. If you want to talk about the hardware, I will genuinely say the couple of pictures I, I've taken with it so far of the dog, because that's what I take pictures of mostly, it, it is amazing. It does a great job with the bokeh. The blur is really good. It's And she's... She's a black Labrador. She's quite difficult to get in good lighting. She sort of, she's like a ninja. She blends into the background. This did a really good job of being able to pick her out from the background, which to be fair, in the right lighting, the iPhone 13 Pro can do as well. But you know, from that point of view, it is an excellent camera. And that's what Google's known for in this device. Hardware-wise... Just before we move on, I think what I like about the look of the camera is you've got a long, thin strip across the top back of the phone, which means that when you put your phone on a table, it's not going to rock like the iPhone. And that is the one thing that I don't like about the iPhone and why they haven't made it symmetrical. Apple famed for design and being symmetrical. I fear they're leaning too much into this corner camera piece. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. It looks ever more like a, like a hob on your cooker, doesn't it, is the, is, is the <laughs> iPhone camera. And I agree with you. I think from an industrial design point of view, this is actually better in some ways. It doesn't feel quite so slippy with the aluminium rails that you've got or the stainless steel rails that you've got on the Pro phones. It does sit, it's grippier in your hand as you use it. You've got all the buttons down one side. So you've got volume and power on on one side and then the other side is clean, which is okay if you like that kind of thing. So hardware-wise, I think it's a very well-made phone. It's glass front and back. It's nicely balanced in the hand. You don't have an iPhone 13 Pro Max. I think you're on the 12, 12? Yeah. Pro Max. The 13 feels ridiculously overbalanced. When I hold it up in my hand, it always wants to topple over, top, you know, sort of top right towards where the camera is. There's too much weight on the top of the phone. It's uncomfortable slightly, actually. So hardware-wise, I think it's a really good device. It also has an in-screen fingerprint reader, which is quite clever. So you hold the middle of the screen there and it will unlock and that's good. And it has a hole punch camera, which you won't really be able to see here, Chris. But believe, yeah, yeah, I can just about see it. Believe me, if you're used to the notch, is it's amazingly how, how small the camera is that sort of looks through it. And the hardware is good. Well done. Well, it's the external hardware is good. D- does it do any form of face ID? No. Well, so you within, have a, to use the thumbprint. within Android, you can set it, but it's actually a reduced security level, so you're better using the thumbprint. And the thumb sensor on this phone is slow. Okay. So uh, I would say it's a good half a second if you put your thumb hopefully in the right place that it unlocks. I mean, it's amazing that it works at all on one level. It's reading your thumb through glass, which still impresses me. Yeah, that me. is kind of cool. No, but it's slow. If you're used to Face ID and looking at a phone and swiping up and it being unlocked, which to be fair, the Face ID sensor, it does an amazing job of in almost all conditions. It's slow, you know, and if you miss it, to put the pin in, and I use a six digit pin, on an iPhone, when you tap in a six digit pin, it unlocks the second you finish putting in the last digit. This sits there waiting for you to hit return effectively, which I found quite irritating, you know, as an iPhone user. Yeah, that would be annoying. Does it have a hardware silent button on the side? It does not. You need to swipe it. I, wonder, I want Apple to get rid of that. Do you? I'll never use it. My phone's always on silent. 
I never want to catch it. Yeah, I'm the same. It's always on silent, but I understand people that don't have Apple Watches maybe don't want that. Yeah, but that's their problem. Get an Apple Watch. <laughs> I think I like the hardware flick the switch. The only Android company that does that is OnePlus. OnePlus, right, I think, okay. and even they may have got rid of it on their on their most recent phone, I think. But they had the sort of mute button the same way that Apple did. So yeah, internal hard external hardware is great. Even the fingerprint sensor, I'm willing to give a pass. What's less acceptable to me is this uses Apple's, it uses Google's version of Apple Silicon. It's got a Tensor chip inside of it, which is Apple, I keep saying Apple, which is Google's own Silicon that they've custom designed to run their platform. So it doesn't use Snapdragon, which is what most Android phones use. And I'm really deeply unimpressed. So I, I was making some notes when I started installing it. So I turned this on, I put my SIM card into it. I put it on the Wi-Fi at work, we're university, we've got quite fast Wi-Fi. The first thing was, because I wasn't registering it on the on the, on the the sort of full edge of network, I put it on the, the guest Wi-Fi, which is normally fine. I couldn't put in an email address on the login page. It wouldn't fire up a keyboard to enable me to put in that. So I had to skip the initial setup and then go and do it afterwards. So that was sort of strike one. It then sat there for three hours claiming to be doing something. I hadn't installed anything on it. I hadn't visited an app store. It said it had 19 apps to update. Even though there were 50 plus Google internal apps, it could see that there was something that it wanted to go and update, but it didn't know what to do. And it gave me no prompts as to what it was actually trying to do. So I sat there and I looked at it for a while and then I thought, well, I better Google because, you know, I don't actually understand what's going on. <laughs> so I Google about my Google phone. I had to Google about my Google phone. In the meantime, I'm getting all sorts of emails from Google welcoming me to Pixel and this, what a great experience I was going to have. And it was the future and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. What I had to do was I had to go deep into the system. It took me a while to figure out how to actually get at all the other apps. So on an iPhone, you get a grid of applications in front of you and you click on the one you want from the second you install it, which can be a negative thing. We've looked at the same screen more or less since iPhone version one, actually. So it was quite, it was quite refreshing to see that there was something different here. But what you do is you swipe up from the middle of the screen, not the bottom of the screen, and that opens the app drawer and populates all the apps that are installed on the phone. Okay, great. I found the settings app, I went one layer into it, I found the software update, and there was a software update. So I started the software update, and it wasn't huge, it was about 600 megs, I think. Anyway, an hour later, it was still downloading it. So I took it home at that point, I put it on my home Wi-Fi, which is even faster. A leisurely sort of 45 minutes later, it finished installing that 600 meg software update, and it, update, it reset, rebooted itself. And I was looking at it again, and I was then presented with the same screen again, updating apps. And it sat there saying updating apps. And I thought, well, I've seen this before. I bet I'll go into software update again. So I went into the software update, same thing, but it was a bit smaller this time. It was about 400 megs. Still took 45 minutes to an hour to install the software update. Again, I'm pointing out this is Google's latest TensorFlow chip on fast Wi-Fi with Wi-Fi 6. And then it rebooted itself. And then it said there was a small update this time. It was only 20 megs. And it sat there and it thought about it for about 35 minutes. And then I rebooted it. And then it started downloading all these apps. No, it didn't. Then I had to visit the Google Play Store. I had to delete the cache that was on the device. And then it started updating the apps. So it took me three and a half hours to get to the point where it was updated enough with the default apps that it was ready to go. That's a bit rubbish, to say the least. One thing I do like with the Apple update mechanism is there's just one update. It's going to be either a point update or a major update, but it just does it in a one There's no piecemeal updates. I think it's a much better way of doing it. And they seem to serve the updates very quickly to billions of people, which is quite a skill in itself. That sounds like a horrible first run. And if you didn't know what you were doing, I mean, it makes you wonder what would 
my mum do. She had a phone like that. Well, this is it. And the reason I, I, I picked a Pixel phone for work is I wanted the default. I wanted what Google had. I wanted the purest re- you know representation of Chrome that we could get. So you know I, I knew it was rendering the website properly. Uh, and to be made to wait this long to get it to do some basic stuff, I just found you know I'm a reasonably technical user. Fair enough, I'm fairly embedded in the iPhone world. But I've had Android phones before. I had the very first Android phone when it came out. So it's not like I'm unfamiliar with the operating system, but I just found this baffling, that all these reboots to get it up to the point where it would even do the thing it was trying to do with no pointers as to what it was actually doing. That The phone itself didn't prompt me that it was downloading a, to go and download a system software update. It just sat there with this one you know thing going on in the, in the, in the, in the notification shade. It's a bit rubbish, isn't it? It's a bit rubbish. So, anyway, the next day, because I'd had enough of it by that point, I, I went away, I took a couple of pictures of the dog, which is why I was really impressed with the camera. I installed Outlook, and I installed 1Password, because they're the two apps that I need to do any work, and where all my passwords are. I went for a walk around the park. The, after Outlook had been on the phone for a while, I got one new email in the park as I was walking around. I've got four bars of 4G. It was a four-line email, which I could read in the notification shade what the email said, but I couldn't look at the email in Outlook. It wouldn't download it. Is that on Android or is that on Microsoft? It's Microsoft Outlook, but it's obviously... Yeah, but whose fault, whose fault is it? I, I don't know who to blame. I don't care whose fault it is. It's unacceptable. You know, the, the fact that it's a four-line email without even a, an image of some sort in the, in, the, in, the, in the footer of the email, that it can't render that to me, it, it just boggled my mind. And the other thing, that it came up with an incredibly scary warning at the point it went to add my work account to the device. Something along the lines of master device warning this app will take control of this, that, and the other thing. And I thought, I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound good. It really didn't sound good. I, I know It's my work email that I know quite well. That I've added to many devices. I've, I, it's, it's, a, it's an Office 365 account. We all know how these things work. You sign in with your Microsoft account to it. So I was confident I downloaded the right app you know, with all the right things. But the prompts around it were just deeply scary. Yeah, all, you, all you've done is confirm my happiness that we've stopped all Android devices at work and we just go down the iPhone route. Yes, it's more expensive, but it's very straightforward and we get very minimal amount of support. Well, and it was at that point I thought, no, I'm not wasting any more time on this because I I was full of the best intentions to use this device, but just to get the latest bit of tech from Google, you know, their platform, they're the vendor with their silicon inside to give it, you know, a high-end device to give it the best crack of the whip against an Apple device that's now, well, we're almost a year old at this point, aren't we, on the on the iPhone 13? It's not even in the same league. And I know I come with a huge amount of bias as, as a, an Apple person, but I was given it the benefit of the doubt. I, and again, I have fond memories of using Android devices in the past. A Pixel 4 was one of the best phones I've ever had. And this, this no, sorry, Nexus 4, Nexus 4. How much, how much is the device? It's about 800 quid. Wow. Yeah. So it's not cheap. It's not so it's, cheap. It's similar money then. It's similar money to an iPhone Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Not very good. And th- there's little things, you know, like sort of those quality fit and finish things that this this will, you know, maybe people make people realize how anal I am is when I went to put the SIM card. So you get a tool with it, all that good stuff. I've got an iPhone one here for, for illustration. But when you want to put your SIM card in, you pop it out and you get the little uh, nano SIM tray. The Apple one has a hole in the back so you can poke the old SIM card out of it and put a new one on. This isn't. It clicks into the SIM card tray and you actually need to bend the SIM card tray to get the nano SIM back out of it. it you just think you're going to break something. Just, just that little quality of life thing. That doesn't sound good. 
No, and, and like I say, it's a shame because I was walking around with this for, well, just over a day and a half with no case on. It feels really good in the hand. As you say, the hardware is beautiful. It's really well balanced in my hand. It's a nice screen that I can reach almost everything on my thumb with it. I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt, but just the internals of it put me off. Plus, the, the thumbprint reader is so slow, as I've hinted at in the sort of lead up to this. It's just massively off-putting. Yeah, I've got the thumbprint thing on my iPad Mini. I hate it. I'd give my left arm for some Face ID because it's so much better. I'm disappointed, actually, because I thought an £800 device from Google would be a good device. It looks stunning. It is very disappointing, isn't it? Yep, yep. I, I, I am genuinely a bit sad about it because I thought I'd do this for a month. I thought, you know, a month on this and maybe at the end of it, who knows? You know, there is a chance that I'd, it's pretty unlikely, let's face it, because I have got bias. I'm, I'm aware of my biases. But I think I went into it as open-minded as, as possible for me to be. And you are about five weeks away from iPhones coming out. Yeah, there is that too. And I'm running a beta. You know, if ever there was a chance for, for Google to impress me, a nice, solid, stable operating system would be a great time to do it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And what, what version of Android are we on these days? Like, I have no oh. idea. I don't know. Okay, Whatever fine. the latest is, anyway. One thing that I could do with it, though, is I could. The two things that vaguely impressed me is in the settings, I could go and I could set the screen to always be on and show a clock, which was nice. That's quite cool. I wonder if we're getting something coming like that. That was quite cool. And if there's music in the background, it tells you what it is on the lock screen, even in the in the always on mode. So that you know something that you, you sat in a pub or a coffee shop, it comes up on the bottom of what the song is and the artist. That was quite cool too. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm amazed Apple don't do that with Shazam and stuff, because they own Shazam, don't they? Yeah, they do. There's there's absolutely no reason they couldn't, and they should. Yeah, fair enough. Cause that's it's, a shame. I am guided. Yeah. At the end of the day, it will do what I bought it for, which is to test the website. I'll give it to some of the devs. They'll be able to use it. They've got a hardware device to check it all works on. I'm sure just running a website on the Wi-Fi will be good enough for as long as they don't, need to, don't mind spending an hour and a half to update it every time a software update comes along. Google offer, by the way, I think three years of software updates with with the Pixel devices, which is okay for an Android phone. I think most of them only offer two. That is better because I certainly know when we had Samsung S7s and 7 Pluses, they were rubbish. Like within like a year or something, you weren't sure if you were going to get updates. Again, another reason to phase them out because we do keep our phones for three years. Yeah. Yeah, so I think you'd have a bit of a support headache with the Pixel, and maybe I'm maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe new Samsungs are better. What are they up to these days? Twenty twos or something? I think the, the the S series. I think is. they've moved. I think they've moved to the year. Yeah. So maybe Samsung are better. I, I, a little bit of googling led me to believe that maybe the Google Pixel Six isn't the greatest device in the world, which is disappointing considering like i say they're using their own silicon it's their own device with their own operating system if ever they had a chance to shine this was it well it should be the flagship device shouldn't it? at that money it should be uh, agreed yeah so that'll do it for the google pixel 6 pro i would say don't buy one if you're in the market for an android phone maybe go and look at samsung or OnePlus because they're probably better devices yeah, fair enough. And I thought we'd just finish, perhaps, on, on a little recommendation, so an up point rather than a down point, on what your favourite iPad utility is at the moment. So I thought long and hard about this. I thought, what do I actually use on my iPad? And I looked down in the dock, and so I've got, like, Outlook and Teams. Obviously, I wouldn't really call them utilities. They're more apps, and obviously I use them all the time, and the Office app's there too. I listen to a lot of music. And then I thought, 1Password, 8, which is currently in beta. I'm on the test flight for it. I was a bit nervous about doing a beta for my password vault but fair play it's solid the app's amazing 
the guys over at Agile and girls at Agile Bits have done a great job. So one password eight is my utility of choice because I don't know any of my passwords, which is obviously the right thing. And they're all random and all of that. And the way it integrates in, I love it. I've got it all set up. I put every password in there. We actually use it where I work. So one password eight for me. It's fantastic. So I'll back you up on one password. It is, I think, the first app I install on any Mac or iPhone that I've got. I pay the money happily. We're not sponsored by them. I'm trying to work out how much one password is. Maybe I'll let you Google for that, Chris, while I'm talking. Like it's it. not a free app. You pay a reasonable amount of money for the pleasure of them holding all your passwords. It is a, an amazing app, even though on the Mac it's now Electron. There was a lot of angst in the Mac community about them moving away from being a native uh, Apple app to being an Electron app. Electron app is a web framework where you write a web version of it and effectively you can run it on multiple devices, Android and Linux and whatever else. The core of it uses a programming language called Rust, which is a safe by design it protects your memory it does all sorts of things it's very secure it's a you know it's a well-written app that works well for one password eight i think i didn't even realize i could do till just the other day actually is normally i'll open up one password i'll find the password that i'm looking for two-factor authentication codes are handled by it as well as a vault i can share with the family which is a, a benefit to me i put things like driving licenses and passports in there there is because it's secure enough that i'm happy to put scans of them in there plus the numbers and things like that so i've got that wherever i travel it's on my phone it's on whatever computer i'm using at the time i just discovered the other day that not only will it also fill websites but you can actually get it to autofill apps on your screen as well so if you do shift command space and you've got one password running you can actually search one password and if it's a native mac app you can actually get it to complete the passwords in there as well so i'm with you one password is a fantastic application that is the first thing i install on any device yeah it is awesome and when you copy a password to the clipboard it only does it for one one paste and then it, it kills it from the clipboard. So it's got lots of really good things in there. I must confess, I do get it for free for personal consumption because we use it at work. So if anybody works somewhere that's got one password and they pay for it, every user of a work account can then use it personally for free, which I think is quite a nice promo because they don't have to do it. But if you were to buy it, it is $2.99 per month for a personal one or $4.99, this is dollars, for a family setup. So I, I'm, I love it. I use it for everything. And I... I've started collecting logins for my parents and my wife's parents as I help them with their IT stuff. They know I've got them, but I save it all there. And like you, I've got everything in it because I trust it. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Great app, well-made on any platform you can think of. And the fact that it takes away that password worry, creating a password, two-factor authentication, all into one place where you can securely access it using biometrics as well. So like on my Mac, uh, as for, you know, I can use the fingerprint sensor or I can use my Apple Watch to unlock it. You know, on the phone, it uses the Face ID sensor. I presume it's the same on the iPad. Yep. Yep. So yeah, great app. If you don't use a password management app, LastPass or, or in one of those ones, I'd recommend 1Password, but use something. Don't just use 1Password, you know, password123. <laughs> Yeah, or don't just use the same password everywhere. It's great. And you've already talked a bit about the technology they're building on. So they're going through a technology transition and they've released it for Mac and Windows. And then they're just doing the iOS, iPadOS piece now. And it's fantastic. They're doing a really good job. Yep. And just as good in Linux too, where they use a variety of the technologies you can use in Linux, such as the Snap Store or those native versions of it too, which you can build against. So yeah, they do all the right things as far as I'm concerned. Great company, great application. I think you're right, they're, they're native on every platform kind of thing. They do it the right way on every platform. Yeah. 
Yep. For me, my Mac app of the week is Alfred. So Alfred is on first view, the free version at least, looks like a drop-in replacement for Spotlight. It defaults to command to option space rather than command space, which is the Spotlight to shortcut on Macs. But it's really Spotlight on steroids and hasn't been, they call it Sherlocking when app is replaced by the operating system vendor, hasn't been replaced. Because Spotlight is, it gets slightly better with every OS release, but is still a bit rubbish, frankly. Whereas Alfred is not only a replacement for an app launcher, which is much what most people use it for. You know, you hit, in Alfred's case, a default option space, but like I say, every map might a command space. I get Alfred instead of Spotlight. I've turned Spotlight off, except for indexing in the background to launch. You type command space, you'd start typing the first few letters of your app. So say one password we were just talking about, I type the one and it's suggesting to me I launch the one password app. If I hold down command, instead of just picking the first thing, I get reveal file and finder as the first thing. So it will show me where, where what I'm looking for is, which I think Spotlight does these days too, but it's really handy. I don't need to go and touch the mouse. I don't need to do anything. I just hold down command again and hit return and it will show me where the application is. If I do command space and I hit space, it's a, it will then search for files within the operating system. So I don't need to go off and use Spotlight as part of that. But again, I'm just sort of scratching the surface of what it can do. It's also a universal clipboard replacement. So if I do shift command C, I get Alfred's clipboard manager, which will hold as many items as you want in history. So you can set it to, I think the default is 10, but you can set it to be 2000 clipboard items. And then again, you can just do command two from the presented clipboard items, and you've got that history going back as far as you want it, or for whatever, plus images, plus whatever. And it does clever things around passwords. If you have got a password in your clipboard, it will put stars over the top of them when you're presenting the multimodal clipboard things, put it back in. It also does things like text snippets. So maybe next week we'll be talking about text expander. So snippets would be if you had a keyboard shortcut where you did underscore SIG for your email signature, you can do that with Alfred as well. It is a fantastic app. It's updated all the time. It has so much more workflow built into it than I've sort of scratched the surface off here. You can, for example, have it search the web natively. If I type GG, it will go to Google to search the website for it rather than on my Mac. I can do DG for DuckGo. I can do Brave. I can set, set it to search wherever. I can set it to search within particular websites. So if there's a keyboard shortcut within that website to do it, you can say, go to this website, use the native search thing and find it within a website. It's just an immensely powerful thing that I never stop finding uses for. And at its basic free version, it's still better than Spotlight. Yeah, I remember Alfred One. Like shows my age a little bit. It is a cracking, and I've just had a quick look at it actually, and it look it looks really good. It doesn't look like it's changed on the face of it, but it looks like the capability has obviously changed over time. So you get the free version, and then there's a power pack which you can buy, which is thirty four pounds. But if you're a super supporter for fifty nine pounds, you get free lifetime upgrades, which you've only got to use it for two versions and you, you pretty much paid for it. So it seems like a great app. I like the, like the look of it. I would, wouldn't mind the iPad to get apps like this. Yeah, I would hope at some point that they would give you apps like this really where they'll they'll tell you, it, where they'll, they'll open up the iPad a little bit in freedom because if you do command space in the keyboard case at least, you do get the spotlight analog up on, on the iPad. Let's face it, I think the Mac is a better platform by them allowing access to sort of these core apps where you can use things like Alfred, you know, and, and Quicksilver before there was Alfred back in the day. These kinds of things where you, 
clipboard management is pretty vital. I'm sure you copy and paste things a hundred times a day, you know, on your iPads. So having two or three or four or five or six things in the clipboard is incredibly useful without having to go back and paste this text, get that bit from there, get that bit from, you know, it's, it's tedious sometimes copy, even something as simple as copying and pasting. So a clipboard history in itself is a useful thing. And it's just another value add and what's already a great app. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think it looks great. Like, like I said, I'd like to see it on the iPad, but it's a good app. Good. I, I, would, I would agree with your choice. Perfect. Well, two good choices by both of us there. Go and check them out if you haven't already. And we've managed to go long again, Chris, so I think we might call it a show. Yeah, I think we should. We're good at that. We're very good at that. One hour 30 at the moment. Whether it'll survive that long in the edit, I don't know, but that's a long recording. Right. So great to speak to you, Rod. And if anybody wants to get in contact, just email wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Have a good one.